0: Good evening. Uh, welcome. I'm Eileen Nettleton. I'm the president of the closer I am president of the Dane County League of Women Voters, and we're delighted to have a good group here this evening. Um, we think we suspect some of you are a little worn out from working at the polls yesterday. Uh, And um, I want to thank everybody here for all that you've done. Uh, I've written down some things so I try not to miss some of the important highlights. Um, We've had people working with high school voter education. We've had people working with the voter ID coalition, helping get ID, hanging banners up over streets to remind people to vote. Uh, People working on the candidates' answers, candidates' forums, know your candidate, interviews, registering people to vote, and reminding your friends and and neighbors to vote, and hopefully all of you got to vote yourselves. So thank you so much. I'm looking forward very much to the presentation this evening. Uh, It's a topic that is absolutely essential to our lives. It's water. And I want to thank Mary Anglum, first of all, for making the arrangements for our speaker this evening. So I'm going to turn it over to Mary, and she will be introducing our speaker. We will save questions and answers for the end of the, after the presentation. Thank you.
1: Now, see if I get close enough. Welcome, everybody. I'm so glad you're all here. And I'm very happy to be making an introduction tonight to um, a person who is really a model of what I think a lot of us should aspire to or do aspire to, or even actually have lived out in our lives already. That is someone with scientific expertise and political savvy and uh, a a way with kids and education. And a community organizer and leader. So, wouldn't we all like to have all those feathers in our caps? And I think Ingrid does. Ingrid spent (laughs) not Ingrid. I'm sorry, Gretchen. All these. You're looking at Ingrid names, you know. (laughs) Well, Ingrid too. Um, (laughs) Um, Gretchen Sable um, spent 36 years working for the state of Minnesota in various assignments. She started out as a landfill inspector, I read in her her uh, retirement biography, and moved through various um, environmental jobs and then spent a lot of time with, I hope I have this right, the Minnesota Pollution Control Agency. You do. Which, um, among other things, uh, works on groundwater and septic systems. And so Gretchen uh, knows a lot about septic systems. And Minnesota, from what I read, has a very model um, set of regulations about um, how septic systems should be built and maintained. And probably we could um, look to them for a little guidance on that. Um, So that was her professional life, including working on the groundwater um, Protection Act of 1989, I believe. She um, joined the League of Women Voters, however, in, um, as she says, when her hair turned white. And, um, but she still worked for another, I think, close to 10 years after that, so she wasn't um, on easy street yet. Um, she, beca- she eventually became the president of the ABC um, League, which is, stands for Anoka um, something and Coon Rapids. <laughs> <laughs> um, and she was the first president of the Upper uh, Mississippi River Region, ILO, which got its start in 2015. So uh, with those responsibilities, she's been uh, a leader in the community as well as a leader in Um, state regulation and state politics and so she's gonna tell us lots about a lot of different issues tonight and um, please welcome Gretchen Sable well thank you
2: thank you very much Kelly can you hear me can you hear me Kelly is it working okay there we go I hear me too Um, well thank you very much Mary Um, a little bit about where ABC is. It's North Metro Twin Cities. And so Anoka is the A, and B is, oh, I'm sorry. I, I, wand, I wander around. B is Blaine, and C is Coon Rapids, but we also have Andover, Bethel, and Champlin, so we could be any ABC. Um, as leagues go, you know, the locals close and they keep accumulating, and so we are a whole bunch of cities now. Um, the Upper Mississippi, what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you a little bit about the Upper Mississippi and kind of how we came to be. I will recognize Ellen. Ellen Rossborough was um, one of the founding mothers of Ummer as well. Um, And she started before I did, but she backed up quicker and she got to be treasurer and I had to be president. So, (laughs) but it's been good. I I have really loved this, I'll tell you. This has been like the best time of my life. When you talk about what you want to do in retirement, and you, find, and you find that you can go out and you can talk to people that are polite and listen to you. You know, as a regulator, I talked to a lot of people that were not polite and didn't listen. And I, I lobbied a lot, and they don't listen at all. But now if I go and I lobby as League, I say I'm with League of Women Voters, and the legislators put down their pencils, and they turn and listen. Oh, my. So anyhow, so I'm, I'm having a great time, and this is just wonderful. Um, let's see. Uh, what else do I need to say? I'm just going to plow in here. Oh, that was the other thing. As a, as a former regulator, I never got through a talk without people interrupting me, so if there's something you want to say, feel free. Um, I, I, a lot of my talks ended up being way long, but we covered what people wanted to hear. Um, so, well, look at that. So long ago, almost 100 years ago now, there was this idea that a bunch of citizens could get together and work on good ideas and good government. And so, I guess I have to point to that. I'm gonna tell you about, is it going? No, oh, there it goes. Do I have to stand over here? I don't think so, I I, I think you just have to press it right. Okay, I just have to press it right. Well, thank you. Um, So we call ourselves UMR. It's um, the League of Women Voters Upper Mississippi River Region Interleague Organization. An interleague organization is um, what I'm gonna kinda get to. So, uh, I have this set up so it automatically advances, so we're gonna get nervous going back and forth, I'm sorry. Um, so, like you know, League of Women Voters is comprised of local leagues, mostly for a given city or county, and you all know that, so you, you have all these little local leagues. I pressed it right that time. And they all report to state leagues. The states kind of bind those local leagues together into state groupings, and they advocate on a state level. Um, and then the LWVUS ties everything together and advocates on federal. And you join at one level, but you get all levels. And, and so this is something that we need to remember is that we're integrated across this. I, there's a lot of outreach on local issues, some on state issues, but WWU.S is hard to get a grasp on. So you have to remember that too. So anyhow, an, an ILO then, an interleague organization, is something where you join together around a certain geography or a certain kind of topic. So, well, where'd it go, dang it? There it is. See, there's an ILO. So it's a bunch of local leagues together. We have 20 some ILOs in the US, of which I don't think there's any in in Wisconsin besides Lake Michigan. Uh, We do have two in Minnesota as well. So two of the ILOs that we have are larger and they incorporate leagues from multiple states. I'm gonna make you nervous, I'm sorry, it's almost done. So anyhow, Lake Michigan and Upper Mississippi is multiple states. This is Lake Michigan. They have the Lake Michigan watershed. They have 45, some, maybe they not quite, quite that many members, um, all in five different states, just like we have. And so this group has been around since the well, 45 years, whatever the math comes out to. And they largely incorporated around um, some water issues, but a lot of development issues, too, because there's a lot going on in that watershed with um, the growth of steel and mills and, and nuclear plants and all that, and how do you do with all that? And so they, they, that was them. This is um, Henrietta Saunders. She was president of Lake Michigan when I was on the left, and Judy Beck. Um, if you look at this, you'll see that Chicago here is actually in a different watershed. And that's because they changed this river to flow out instead of in to Lake Michigan. And so this is our watershed here. So we have a significant membership in the Chicago area as part of and And we are the other one. So we're the other multi-state one. We have about 50 local leagues and four state leagues in our basin. And this is what it looks like here. You can see that our state leagues are also members of our, our group. And so so we have a, a when I talk about joining at all levels, we're kind of an integrating organization. And so we work on federal issues kind of more naturally than a local league might, because we have this multi-state focus. And we do report to LWB US. And so if we're going to do any kind of national advocacy, we're working with the National Office on that. And I'll talk more about that. Um, So we have, our first focus, we we started in 2015, and our first focus was water quality, and is this going to, you turned it off, Uh, what we started talking about was um, nutrients, and I'll talk more about nutrients. Nutrients are a good thing unless they're in the wrong place, and so we'll We'll get there. We focused on water quality in 2017 because of issues here in Wisconsin, in the central sands with high capacity wells, we added water quantity to our mission. And we also have similar issues with that in Minnesota. So um, those are some of the things that we work on. Our, Our mission is to engage regional residents to foster an informed and active stewardship ethic and pathway to sustain this area. Through efforts to reduce nutrients, so that's it's a mouthful, but so's our name. Um, so there you go. Um, Carrie Chapman Cat, you know, League's nearly 100 years old. We're four years old, but we're using the strength of League, and what we do is we use our ILO to amplify our voices across the watershed, and that's why it's exciting because we can work on things that are big issues, and and that feels really good. So. So that's it. Um, for our, our annual meeting last year, we were in Chicago because the, the big convention was in Chicago. So we had our annual meeting in Chicago, which was really expensive. But um, uh, one of the things that we did, we surveyed all the leagues in the U.S. Are you active on water issues? And we put together this map. You can see all these little LWVs. Those are all leagues that reported to us that they are doing water work. And if you look, I, um, you know, we have all the talks up. We had... We had a, a lightning round where people came from different leagues and they each had seven minutes to tell us about their water work, and it was really fun. And, and so when you look at the suite of issues, you know, down here in Florida, they have problems with saltwater intrusion because as they pump out their groundwater, the saltwater's coming in from the ocean, they have contamination issues. Ohio has, um, up here in Toledo, have you been following that? Remember Toledo's water supply went down because of algae? Well, that's a a problem throughout all of Ohio. And I heard today when I was driving down here that Lake Superior, we had algae blooms in Lake Superior last year. So there's lots of stuff that happens. Um, Water, lack of water issues out here in the thirsty west. And that's another kind of thing. There's a, um, you see this cluster of leagues up here and this little cluster down here. It's interesting, they're working on the same issue but from a different end there's a pipeline being built that's gonna bring water from Northern California to Southern California. And so depending on where you are on that, you might have different views. And so leagues are, leagues are active in water issues and it's, it's been an interesting thing to look at that. Ha! Huh. So this is hydrology 101. And what I will promise to do is look at your eyes and if you start to fall asleep, I will not do much of this. But if you love it, I will keep going because I love it too, okay? So y'all know what a watershed is, right? A watershed is a geographic area where the water that falls here all goes to the same point. So this is a a little better drawing. You can see the rain falls, it ends up at this discharge point, and then it infiltrates into the ground, and so groundwater is part of a watershed too, and we want to remember that. So when we talk about the Upper Mississippi Basin, that means all the water that comes down Well, I'll get there. Um, A better picture of groundwater, because I'm going to talk a little bit more about groundwater. Groundwater is like one of my favorite things. Um, Anyhow, you can see that the water table reflects what gets down. When you have a well, it will withdraw water. So that's the issue with the high capacity wells. If you have, if this was paved, you would have a lot less infiltration. So we have less infiltration because we have more pavement now. So that's how water works. This is the, oh, I'm sorry, it doesn't turn out very well here, does it? That's the upper Mississippi watershed, and it starts off way up here in Canada in the Rockies, and this is the Missouri River. You can see the Missouri coming down there. This is the Ohio River flowage. It comes from the Adirondacks, and up here it's almost to the Great Lakes and comes that way. Um, The Mississippi main stem starts up in northern Minnesota, and winds its way through. A significant part of the Mississippi, Upper Mississippi is in Minnesota actually, and then it becomes the border of our states. So um, when we talk about the Upper Mississippi then, we're only doing part of that basin. We're not doing the Missouri, we're not doing the Ohio, and we end up with basically this area, a titch of South Dakota, a titch of Indiana, a little bit more of Missouri, and the four states of Minnesota, Wisconsin, Iowa, and Illinois. So whenever our group started up, we contacted Missouri to see if they wanted to join, and they said, oh, we got our hands full with other stuff, and so they didn't. Um, and I think that Indiana's already part of the Lake Michigan group, and we didn't ask them, and South Dakota has two leagues, and we didn't ask them. So, um, so there we are. So that's our states. Come on, here we go. Looking at Wisconsin, you have three different major watersheds. So you have the northern part goes to Lake Superior, the eastern part to Lake Michigan, and this is all Mississippi River. You can pick out your big rivers here, the Wisconsin, this is the Black River, I think, Chippewa, and the St. Croix. And this must be the rock down here. And so that means that the Yahara is probably one of these watersheds, right? Yeah. So, come on, ha, and there's the Yahara. So this, on this graphic, you can see the land use and I didn't, I don't remember the date of this, but you can see that there's open water. So here's your lakes. Ah, I saw loons when I was coming over today. So the loons are back. Yay. Um, so the loons are here and I was on, I must've been on Lake Minona, I was seeing them. So anyhow, this is the, that you can see there's wetlands. Wetlands are, you got two kinds of wetlands in the lighter blue, and you have a lot of wetlands here. Wetlands are real important in a watershed because they provide a kind of a sponge to protect the water bodies and to protect other things. Oh, and look at that. Wetlands are sponges that protect the water and the land. Wetlands, this is um, from the USGS. Wetlands cover more than 5 million acres of Wisconsin, and there's um, swamps and marshes and peatlands. If you're down along the Mississippi, of course, you'll see lots and lots of wetlands down there in the floodplain. Right now they're really wet. Um, Wetlands are most numerous in glaciated parts of the state. Um, Here, here, this is the one. Wetland acreage has decreased by nearly half over the last 200 years, and Wisconsin was the first state to adopt water quality standards for wetlands. This little guy is a newt. (laughs) It's kind of cute. A cute newt. Um, groundwater you know, groundwater lives, uh, occurs in different, if you dug a hole and you just went straight down you would find different kinds of soil and then you'd find sand and things like that and then you'd probably find rock, maybe quicker here you'd find rock, at my house it's 200 feet before you find rock because the glaciers left a lot more where we live. So anyhow, you have this whole column of stuff and it's all saturated and there's, there's different kinds of aquifers and they're separated by layers of clay and separated by how they perform. And so when you look at groundwater contamination susceptibility, this is a, a thing from 89. That was, Minnesota did one in that time too. You can see the orange areas are the areas where groundwater's more susceptible to contamination from the land surface. Um, this is your central sands right here. And if you look at this one, This is probable yield, means how much water is gonna come out of that well. There's that same area. So we can see that the highly vulnerable area of Wisconsin, the central sands, is where it's very, um, there's a lot of water there too. Um, You have karst in this area, and karst is a problem. You also have karst down here in the Driftless area. So you have a lot of areas where groundwater is very plentiful and also threatened. Um, A resource that you have, and I just put this up here because I came across it. Um, The the, um, UW Stevens Point Center for Watershed Science and Education is run by a guy named Paul McGinley and it's his wife, Jerry, that's our treasurer. So we um, have kind of an in there and um, Jerry's a very good scientist in her own right and we appreciate having her with us. She's also an excellent parliamentarian so she always keeps me on the straight and narrow. Um, which is, I need, so that's good. But anyhow, this is a great resource. And I know these guys would come out and give talks. And so if you really wanted to get down and dirty into the groundwater issues, that would be a great resource to have them come out. They gave a talk in Ripon recently that I saw. Um, Ummer has been working on a bunch of things. Like I said, we chose nutrient loss reduction as our first focus. This is the headwaters up in northern Minnesota. Um, that means that helping people keep nutrients where they belong, not in our water because these ex- ex- excess nutrients can cause algae blooms and they contaminate the water with, um, so when you hear those blue-green algae warnings, you remember the hearing nose, and don't let your dog in the water, well that's because there's microcystins and microcystins can harm people too. And so if your water supply is developing algae, you're gonna have problems in your water supply with microcystins and other kinds of harmful habs, harmful algae somethings. Yeah, everything has an acronym. Yeah, P, problem. Anyhow, so algae's a problem for people, and it also uses up oxygen. You know, when you think about it, plants make oxygen, right? But at night, they use up oxygen. And when their cells die, they use up oxygen. And when you have a big bloom, you'll have a lot of deadness around the bloom. So anyhow, we picked that. Oh, that's the dead zone. And, um, and we've been working toward this, because that's the other thing. All four states, uh, there was a... As, as the... As we learn more about the dead zone, so all the water that comes down contains these nutrients and the algae gets out here into the Gulf and it lives its life cycle and then it dies and it creates a dead zone as the, as the decomposition uses up all the oxygen. So the dead zone's about the size of New Jersey now. There's other dead zones. There's one in um, Green Bay from the discharge in Green Bay. There's several off the East Coast and more around the world. So it's something that as we are eutrophifying, making things more eutrophic, (laughs) we're we're getting more problems with that. So the causes of excess nitrogen, this is from a study in Minnesota. I think it's probably about the same. 70% comes from farm fields, mostly through drain tiles and runoff from crops. And then about two thirds is from human, Um, stuff in urban settings and industrial. So, you know, we can do a lot with this, but until we start to address farm issues as well, we're not gonna get there. Um, So the two nutrients that we talk about are nitrogen and phosphorus, and they allotted a share. So when you think about what comes out down here at the mouth, how much of that comes from where? And we see that in nitrogen, it's Iowa, Illinois, and Indiana are the big ones with Minnesota, Wisconsin, and the other corn states kind of in there. Um, And then phosphorus is a different kind of nutrient, and you can see similar similar, um, footprint. The thing with nitrogen is that nitrogen, we have a lot of nitrogen in our waters up here in the Midwest, and it's not the limiting factor. Phosphorus is limiting factor for us, and so when phosphorus gets in our water, we get blooms. Um, down in the Gulf, it's the other way around, and so the nitrogen is causing the issues. But they both have to be there, so we try to work on both. And maybe I'm just not pressing it right, right? There's an arrow on the right. Yeah, oh, there right it here. is. Oh, yeah. well, no. Are you at the end of the- I'm not at the end of anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, you press the arrow on this. Whoa, watch out that. Oh. To use the Java command, you need to install a JDK, okay?
3: That just pops up spontaneously.
2: Okay, well, good. Well, and this just shows where soybeans are planted and corn. So we see some pretty similar similarities on where all the nutrients are coming from, and we know that these aren't areas that are real densely populated. You know, our dense population is over in the East Coast, so what's all this? Could it be agriculture? Um, An interesting fact about farmland is that a lot of farmland, half in some places, is owned by women who do not farm it. The farmers died and the wife owns the land, or through other means, but women are generally not the active farmers, they rent it out. So how would you work with this group? And um, we were working with the Land Stewardship Project in Minnesota, and they were putting on workshops for women that own land and rent it out. And in these workshops, they would say, so when you're talking to your farmer, here's some things you can talk about, and this is why soil health is important. And now we're working also with the, um, uh, and I'm bringing this up here because they want to work with people in Wisconsin too, the Isaac Walton League, started something called the Upper Mississippi River Initiative, and it covers the same four states that we do. And what they're trying to do is community engagement for clean water, and they're starting with more of these absentee landowner workshops, and they're looking for partners in Wisconsin. And so if that would be something that you would be interested in working on, they um, are actively seeking people. They've been talking to people up in the Stevens Point area, but they need more partners. And when you look at, you know, these women, they're not living out in the land, a lot of them, they're moved to town now. And so we need to find ways to reach out to people like that and um, and talk to them. So, so anyhow, we're working with them. They would love to work with you. This is the one coming up next week. If anybody wanted to scoot over to Owatonna, Minnesota, um, it's free, you get free lunch and treats. And what they're gonna do is just Talk to you they have um, a soil health specialist from the um, uh, USDA come and talk about why soil health is important, how to improve soil health. They have farmers that have used these techniques and, and know what it works and so it's not just pie in the sky. So these are all things that you can do. Um, if anybody's interested in that I will tell you how to get in touch with them They'd like you to register so they have enough sandwiches. Um, another thing that we're working on is trying to improve the profile of the color of the land I mean that sounds silly, but um, when you think about a farm field, it is not green most of the time. It is green for three months, and otherwise it is brown. And so if we could have it be forever green with cover crops, you would have that much more nutrient uptake, and you would also not lose it to erosion. So um, we talk about the benefits of living cover, color, cover, <laughs> living color. Living cover and the University of Minnesota is trying to have a project called Forever Green, where they're working on different perennial crops. Um, the state of Indiana is a real leader in cover crop utilization, but you know they have a whole different climate there than we have in Minnesota. Uh, my daughter's farms out in South Dakota with her husband. And, and so trying to squeeze your cover crops into the shorter growing season is challenging. And so the University of Minnesota is working on different kinds of things that could be grown either as a um, just a thing to keep the land green or as to actually get a benefit. So some of these you would grow at the same time and you would get say an oil seed that you extract after you harvest your corn. So they're trying to find ways to do that. Um, and they're also looking at different kinds of crops for buffer areas and things. So I think that's the thing that is gonna be the, 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 um, the game changer. As we're able to get more and more changes in agricultural practice to less and less brown and more and more green, we will see better water quality. And it's gonna take a major change to do that. Um, we had a couple, Programs on groundwater in Wisconsin. We have on our website, we post videos, and you can watch one. Mark Borchard was a director of Laboratory for Infectious Disease and Environment for USGS, and his office is somewhere here in Wisconsin, southern Wisconsin. Platteville? Maybe? You weren't the one that found him. I was looking at you. I thought maybe you... (laughs) Um, He's somewhere here in Wisconsin. Anyhow, they... um, His talk was kind of cute, when it hits the fan, groundwater quality and public health, because he was looking at fecal material in people's wells, and there's a lot of nitrogen and a lot of E. coli and things, and it's a big problem. And so he talks about that. They're able to identify the sources of the E. coli, so they know if it's people or cows or turkeys, and they can identify that. So his talk was very interesting. And then we had George Kraft from UW-Stevens Point talk to us about the science of depletion and nitrogen contamination. So there's water bodies up in the Stevens Point area where they've dried up. When they run those irrigation wells, the wetlands dry up, the lakes dry up. And those kinds of problems are due to unfair use of the commons, is I guess the way to say that. And apparently Wisconsin does not value the ecological benefits that the water provides in those. Well, I don't know what your laws say. In Minnesota, um, we have had governments like yours as well, and, but our laws said that you had to do that. And so it was the implementation of the laws that, you know, um, there was a slogan that, no matter who, what dynasty it was, the Chinese kept being Chinese. And so when you're working in a bureaucracy, you just keep on, you know, you have to still do your stuff every day, regardless of who's sitting on the sixth floor. And so it was that kind of just keeping on, keeping on that helped us to weather the changes between we do it this way, we do it that way, well, we just keep on here. And so for us in Minnesota, because we had strong laws that value ecological the ecological value of wetlands and waters. That's what's protected us. And so maybe that's something to look at here as to how your laws are written. I can't believe your laws are you know, Mary was talking about septic rules. We got our septic rules from you guys. We Yeah. You don't have yeah. So you can prevent them from doing science and you fire all your scientists. Yeah. Yeah. So so anyhow, um, I, I'll share something from Carolyn on that, but anyhow, that's that's something that we we have the same problem in Minnesota, but because our laws are written and enforced differently, we are telling people to turn off the pumps because we have to protect this body of water, and that makes a lot of conversations. You know, do we care about that wetland? Yeah, I guess. You know, you know, is that better than? all these people getting their drinking water. You know, you have to find out how to balance those things. Yeah? I'm wondering if all the things you're describing also have a noticeable effect on the way the climate is behaving, rainfall patterns. I don't know. That's climate change kinds of things. And I don't know that groundwater affects it that much. Well, yeah. Groundwater is the, the thing that's affected. So as we get heavier rainfalls, you get more runoff, it can't filter in because it's, you know, if you get three inches of rain in a week, it's different than three inches of rain in a day. And so the the groundwater impacts of those are very different. Um, We we were part of working on the um, Foxconn diversion lawsuit as well, the Lake Michigan water diversion for Foxconn. Um, Ummer at our annual meeting last year passed a resolution opposing that. We um, worked in Minnesota to try to get Governor Dayton, our our last governor, to oppose it through the Great Lakes Commission. He was the head of the Great Lakes Commission. That wasn't effective. Um, We met in Racine in February of this year with Louise Petering, and she is um, a very ardent supporter of natural resources, and, and that was a good meeting. And then we post on our blog. And and I see that Wisconsin does too, so I'll update again. Um, There's going to be a decision coming out in June on that one. So at least that's what we've been told. And what can you guys do? Um, And I'm I'm nearly, nearly near at the end here, so you get questions ready and discussion. Um, you can have meetings like this, but you can also have targeted meetings where you learn about a specific issue that's up, you know, let's say you're going to, because of your location here at the Capitol, you could put a wonderful meeting on something that's going to be hot at the Capitol, and you can get people locally fired up because it's real easy for them to go and um, stand outside the hearing rooms. So you can do that kind of thing. Um, we have a, a thing called the watershed game. The watershed game was developed in Minnesota, and it's a a fun way, it's like a Monopoly board. Mary, you're a, uh, uh, what do you, Mary's a trained facilitator. Yeah, oh, you too, Ellen? Yeah, so um, basically you just, you have teams, and one team is the farmers, and one team is the industry, and one team is the city, and you have to work together to improve the quality of the the stream or the lake that you're doing. They have a stream one, a lake one, and something else, a student one. Yeah, so anyhow, so that's a a fun game. And there's people here that could put it on for you. And so you could have that for your local city people. Your, you know, it was meant to, it was a a project called Northland Nemo, Nonpoint Education for Municipal Officials. So it was geared at local elected officials, teaching them why water matters and how you have to make decisions by balancing Um, There's a groundwater model. I got pictures of these things. I should just go on. There's the watershed game So as people play you can see the game board there There's um, Groundwater models these are up at UW Stevens point and we have a person trained in this And so if you wanted to put something like this on if you're having a groundwater meeting You could get the groundwater model to come so that people can see how groundwater works right right there Um, Carolyn Malam Jenkins is our our groundwater person. Um, Support water monitoring. This is something that the people down in Galena are doing. So Galena, Illinois, um, is in the karst area. It's driftless and it's in karst. And they kind of got into the water stuff because a CAFA was coming to town. And they were concerned about it and they did, instead of just shouting no CAFOs, they did the league thing and they studied it and they learned about it and they worked with people and they decided that they needed to have more people understanding the value of water to make good decisions. And so they got active and it was actually them that kind of started up this group that we're in. But they they support water monitoring. They get grants and they train high school kids and they go out and they collect water samples and and the league coordinates that. There's gonna be a Citizens Water Lobby Day here in Wisconsin. It's coming up on May 13th. Um, That's something that they need some help with. Um, Carolyn Malam Jenkins and Mary Placer are gonna be helping them. Uh, We're talking to LWV Wisconsin now to see how formal they want that to be. Do we wanna be a sponsoring organization or just have our people help out? And we haven't got that answer yet, but um, that's being organized by uh, Sustain Rural Wisconsin Network. You're nodding, so I must have got that right. No, no, the lady behind you. Um, so, Mary Doherty is the person that I've been talking to. Um, you can advocate on bills, you could certainly do that. Uh, the Foxconn decisions would need people watching that. And the same Sustain Rural Wisconsin group. I met with them in Minnesota. They want to have a feedlot moratorium, a CAFO moratorium in Wisconsin. And so it would be up to you guys to study that issue and decide how you feel about that, but that could be something too that would be a a kind of an action that local leagues can do. Um, So you can, yeah, make your voice heard. So that's a beating. Here's some of the other stuff they do down in Galena. They, They take kids out, they do education events, Here's um, Beth doing a, talking about water with students. There's their monitoring. They have forums where they get people together to talk about water. They even had a well sealing program. Uh, an abandoned well is a, a direct conduit into groundwater. And if some bad land use happens on top of that, that's a bad thing. And so they were um, able to get grants to pay people to seal up their wells, their old wells. So there's lots of stuff you can do. This is that water lobby day. The Citizens Water Coalition of Wisconsin. That's the group that was at the head of the website now. So um, they had their last one in 2017, and now they want to do it again. The 2017, somebody gave them money to pay for buses. This year, they're crowdsourcing. And um, I don't know where they're at right now, but they, they're looking for money. So anyhow, that's, that's an opportunity. And I just got some nice pictures. That's St. Paul. I was one of these people. That's uh, Lake Pepin. There, that's my end. So that's the last slide. So, with that, I will let you guys ask me stuff or talk among yourselves.
3: Are you going to want the slides at all for anything? Because otherwise I can put it up and turn
2: the lights off. Whatever you like. Yes?
4: Oh,
2: here. So people can hear. Here, you take no railing? Here we go. Okay. Okay.
4: I'm interested
3: to know um if fracking in the western northwestern part of Wisconsin mm-hmm. how that's impacting groundwater um, and and if the league is doing it and if your group or if the league is looking at the fracking,
2: we're not doing anything with fracking. Um, I didn't realize fracking was happening here it's It's frac sand, yeah yeah. So if I could talk about fracking for a minute, I grew up in Western Pennsylvania, which is Frack Capital, and um, you know I, I talk to my relatives and they um, talk about methane in their wells and things like that. So there's a lot of unexpected consequences from the actual practice of fracking. Um, when it comes to frack sand mining, that's the problem with um, groundwater because you're you have to displace the groundwater to mine the sand and that kind of thing. So. Um, It it does change the hydrology and it certainly changes the nature of an area when you're in southern Minnesota, they take down hills and it doesn't look like that anymore. And and so there's those kinds of values, too. But we don't do anything about that. So Um, Minnesota did look at fracking as an issue or a frac sand mining. And then Winona County, where most of it happened, imposed a ban or not a ban, a a moratorium.
4: And so we're kind of waiting that out. Well, I spent many years in the Stevens Point, and mm-hmm. they've had programs on groundwater for years. If you drive up into central Wisconsin in the summer, and they have these huge irrigation things, you know, and the, mm-hmm. and the water's actually getting wasted because it's getting sprayed in the air. But one of the things that seems to me is that water has been too cheap. And so we we don't charge enough for water here. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know what the, what the solution is, but, you know, the Little Plover River in, Orange County dried up yeah. because of these capacity wells. And so it's a, it is a big thing up there, and that's why those people have been working on it for a long time. Yeah,
2: it's um, when you talk about the value of water, I think that you're a state where water can't be owned by people. You don't own water rights. But your legislature did grant water rights to people recently because they changed the law that once you have a high-capacity well, there will be no future review of that well, and you can have that in perpetuity, and you can sell it with your property. So you have essentially bought that water in Wisconsin. Oh, yeah, oh, is that, it? stopped now? Yeah. For
1: the
2: moment. Okay. Just a bit. Just a bit. I didn't realize they'd stopped it. I thought they had a...
5: Uh, in the packet, there's a discussion That that law has been stopped for the moment and told that all these uh, permits were vacated and that it is now going to the Supreme Court of Wisconsin. That case, the appeal by the large, uh, the the ones who got the uh, permits for limited use of water. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, I guess I read the part on from Clean Water, Wisconsin, but I didn't read the other part. So thank you for that. Yeah, I, we were shocked in Minnesota to see that because that that's a very Western kind of way to handle your water and not, not the way we would like to see it. You know, when I talk about the commons. It's the tragedy of the commons and maintaining the commons for the everyone. And in Minnesota, we view water as a common resource that we all share. and, and um, you have to balance the needs. Are there others, Carol? Hey, Eileen, Carol, has. Thank you. Um,
6: I was impressed by your discussion of the uh, keeping the the uh, landscape green mm-hmm. instead of brown. There's another really important point to make when you're when you're talking about that. Um, green means that. The plants are growing and the root system is growing. Mm-hmm. And what's happening there? Carbon from yeah. the air is being sequestered into the ground, which is very important for trying to control um, climate change and the um, try to bring our level of carbon emissions under control. Um, one of the things that was just in the news, uh, that we have all seen is pictures of Nebraska being underwater and and many other states in the the Upper Midwest. The um, uh, National I can't, I can't remember exactly the title of the group, but a National Groundwater um, Research Association. That's not their proper t- title. Uh, finished um, research on the effects of, of that flooding, mm-hmm. and it's going to mean that people have to test yeah. test their drinking water supplies uh, because there's a high probability of mm-hmm. contamination. Because those floodwaters may be bringing gasoline spills, they may be bringing uh, manure. Uh, you know they're bringing manure
2: called. and sewage.
6: Yeah. For sure. So that the groundwater and the surface water
2: are being tied together even more. Yeah, Um, thinking about there's always problems with too much water or too little water. And in Minnesota, the legislature is maybe going to fund a project where they will try in the spring to infiltrate water for later use in our depleting aquifers. We do have depleting aquifers too, especially out in western Minnesota where there wasn't that much water to start with. Um, So that's that's a project that I always think that Nebraska should look at that because sometimes they got so much and a lot of times they got so little. (laughs) So Carol, what kinds of stuff do you work on? I was talking to LWV Wisconsin and they said that I should talk to you so, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit because are there things that people could get involved with here now? Yeah. Uh,
6: what? Cranes. Tell them what
2: Cranes is. Right now, the uh,
6: legislative committee for the state league uh, is putting together papers uh, that can be used by individuals, people speaking for the uh, local leagues at the, the five um, public hearings that are going to happen around the state Mm -hmm. for the biannual budget process. And water is going to be very important in in those um, to to convince the unfortunately the still uh, Republican dominated assembly and senate and therefore the joint finance committee that actually writes or rewrites the governor's budget. The governor has proposed that this shall be the year of clean water, and has uh, proposed that a, I can't remember the exact amount of money, but a very large amount of bonding money be authorized to help um, a whole range of uh, water quality problems Mm -hmm. and water quantity problems. One of the things that uh, uh, the League has studied is uh, the impact on, mostly children's health of oh. lead in pipes mm-hmm. uh, that are part of our um, historic water systems. Uh, he's going to enormously increase the amount of money. It's still gonna be a drop in the bucket considering how much, how many miles of uh, lead pipe there are, mostly connecting the public water utility and the inside of somebody's house. Mm-hmm. Uh, so those laterals they're called. Um, are where the the contamination with lead happens. Um, so that's one of the things that we're asking league members to speak up either uh, uh, at a public hearing there's one in Janesville this Friday um, uh, there, it's on the state League's uh, website the locations of the five uh, hearings there but you don't have to go some out of town to to, do, to have an impact, you can go talk to your legislator at the state capitol mm-hmm. and make the same pitch. Um, there are a number of papers that are being uh, sequentially released by the state league uh, from the legislative committee members. Mm-hmm. Uh, several of them are on other water issues like PFAS, which we are facing right here in Dane County with the TRUAC's um, um, military um, yeah. and, and airport uh, situation where they were using a very toxic um, fire retardant mm-hmm. uh, and released um, a, a chemical that has not been regulated either as a groundwater contaminant or as a public health contaminant. So there's a push to have that be, um, the, the governor's budget includes funding for two, at least two of the new water staff to work on coming up with the standards and way, ways oh, okay. to um, remediate mm-hmm. the problems. So that's something that people who are concerned about drinking water and the health of Stark Weather Creek, which is um, fed by waters that come off of uh, the airport. Oh, okay. um, you know, there, there are lots of water issues that local members could be raising with their legislators and speaking up at a public hearing where whenever you make a statement, you're actually educating the audience around you as well as the legislators that, you do, yeah. that are, uh, maybe need a lot of education.
2: They have many things they have to think about. So um, Carolyn Malam Jenkins is on our board and she was just at the hearing today at the Speaker's Water Task Force on Water Quality. And she says there's going to be 11. The task force is traveling to 11 cities starting in May. So is that something different? That's something different. Okay. It's a very good place to go to be. Uh, Those
6: hearings, I'm glad they finally announced how many they're going to be and the locations. Um, The importance is to show that the public is concerned that there are solutions, and there are real needs, and that people are suffering with uh, uh, water that is contaminated by other people's activities, particularly in agriculture and the CAFOs that you were mentioning, the Mm -hmm. confined animal feeding operations, uh, where animals are kept close together, and so there's not a, you have a pile of manure and lots of uh, manure, I mean uh, cow urine that's Very susceptible to get into the um, groundwater and drinking Mm -hmm. water supplies. But there are, we have no end of water issues that uh, people can uh, latch on to.
2: So, this process here that Carolyn's talking about must be for next session?
6: No, um, it's
2: the Republican
6: um, answer to the governor uh, making his declaration very early in his. in his term, that he was going to declare this the the year of water, and so the uh, uh, the, the speaker. existing yeah. the speaker okay. wanted to make sure that everybody knew that they cared about it also. Okay. It's a f- great educational experience for the legislators, but also for people who want to go and find out about uh, mm-hmm. different issues. If they're going to have 11, mean, 11 sessions, that means that probably one a month, they will be um, learning talking about different water issues they will not run out of I don't issues, know
2: where Lancaster is the first ones in Lancaster on May 8th southeast, southeast. southeast okay Southwest. 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 okay and then after travel to the 11 cities there'll be recommendations for budgeting and there will be legislation the tax force is made up of 15 Democrats and Republicans so I don't know if that's 15 each or and then she has a lot more complex things that she'd like to work with us on. So um, one of the things that we do, so Mary Placer and her husband Steve are going to take over my job as chair of this organization.
0: Mary, you want to raise your hand?
2: Yeah. <laughs> and, and then yeah. And then I'll be the... Um, I'm going to stay on as a communication person, So and I'll also be working in Minnesota. So um, But I, I, I have a blog, and on my blog I will... Um, put information that Carolyn gets me she said she's going to write some stuff up, so, so we'll have that. Um, she also writes I think it would be safe to say that there's a disconnect between what the DNR believes is happening from a bureaucratic level and what's actually happening in the field due to fan- funding and staffing cuts over the past eight years. So, you know, that's, that's going to be part of the, the watchdog function that people have to perform is, you know, where's the, where's the beef, where's the enforcement? Well, she said, it "doesn't do any good," and and you're right. Um, but on the other hand, I think that the thing that league does really well is I see you, and you can give them that that look. I'm watching, and that that matters. You know, just seeing us sit there with our badges in the audience going, it 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 makes a difference. We just turned our county board in in our county this week, so I'm feeling powerful. We didn't turn the board, we changed the decision. But yeah.
5: Um, I'm a citizen monitor for the Clean Lakes Alliance, which basically every summer uh, monitors and tests Mm -hmm. temperature, uh, turbidity and other things in the lakes. And this is probably more of a Dane County issue and the Alliance has worked very closely with our county government. And so the emphasis is salt and phosph- uh, algae in the water. We've had bloom after bloom this last summer. Mm-hmm. And um, we, of course, have a Department of limnology at UW here in Madison, which Lake Mendota's like the most studied lake in the world or something like mm-hmm. that. Um, lake Mendota used to have sad bottom. Now it has about two feet of algae on the bottom. Oh, okay and that contributes greatly as it goes. Yeah. So one of the things the county is doing, and I think it's still in the test phase, is they're looking at the streams that come into the uh, big lakes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, mostly Lake Mendota because um, the streams like Starkwater are not really agricultural streams, but they come in. And they're dredging those streams in areas which has slow flowing water, mm-hmm. and trying to dredge out the algae. And then they'll be testing them to see if they're toxic or other chemicals in yeah. them, and whether that can be reused again as a, a nutrient in the soil. So it's very interesting. Yeah. And they, uh, they do work with the farmers in this county. Um, the county does, and you know, Clean Lakes Alliance and others, mm-hmm. it's just not the Clean Lakes Alliance, to try to come up with ways to reduce nutrients coming into the water. I think a lot of farmers have become smarter and are using drones to monitor and test their Mm -hmm. soil for adding nutrients, and I think that's going to be a big help, Mm -hmm. uh, as well as ground cover. I know a few years ago, and I don't know if they did it this last year, the county actually paid for low-flying planes to drop uh, rye, seeds of rye mm-hmm. on open fields to try to create ground cover. Again, though, I don't know if it really did a lot, but it's yeah, every little that, bit that helps. That's
2: the tricky bit about trying to seed in cover right. crops. You know, they're just tough to do. Um, I went to a presentation in St. Paul a couple years ago, a year ago, about um, the Ahara River watershed, because you guys are actually having trading here. They were trying to pinch down the amount of nutrients that was released from the wastewater plant, and the wastewater municipal utility said it's cheaper to pay other people to fix things than it is for us to reach that last level. And so that's an interesting talk too. Um, it's a young woman. That's the, gave us the talk Hawk. I think she's the head. I don't know. It was a good talk. She was a good speaker. Um, talking about soil and soil health, I just share a little bit about that. We have. A minute um, so my daughter is 26 and she's 27 and she um, works for South Dakota State University in Brookings and she's married to a farmer and they farm out there she got her master's degree looking at soil um, carbon stores and what they've found over most of the prairie is that we've been mining the carbon store and now it's getting pretty depleted and so we really need to do things, because the soil t- uh, tilth, we used to call it, now it's called soil health, has <laughs> been so degraded that if we don't start doing things, it will be dead soil. And when you think about the richness of our prairie soils, it's amazing that we've done that in 100 years. So, so there, um, eight o'clock, is that? So
0: are there other questions? Oh, go
2: to 8.30, okay, we've got plenty of time. We... Well,
0: you don't get the whole time, but oh, got, okay. We, well, we can do another fifteen minutes. Easy.
3: I just wanted to tell you about a program that I've been very peripherally involved in um, for a number of years. There's a, an alternative high school in town called Malcolm Shabazz High School, mm-hmm. and they're very big on experiential learning. And they developed a program so that um, for one quarter the students sort of go as a cohort and all of their art and music and science and writing is all focused on um, the environment and water quality. And they do some of this kind of testing you were showing Mm -hmm. of the local water. Yeah. And then they take a um, field trip up to the Driftless area. They meet with people from the um, Trout Unlimited and Uh they learn how to tie flies and they fly fish and they cook their own fish and they Camp out on a, an organic farm in I don't know Veracruz or someplace, mm-hmm. and a lot of these kids have never left the city. They've yeah. never ever been exposed to any of this stuff, mm-hmm. and so and then they write about their experience and how life-changing it was, and they bring all the parents in, and they and they engage so many community members in doing this. So they have you know people from REI that help supply some yeah. of the equipment, and it really um, it's just one of those things that is doing so much good to mm-hmm. spread the, the news everywhere and get a whole cohort of kids who maybe never even thought about the water.
2: Yeah, people um, view outside as just a place you get to between in the, the insides that you're in. And thank you for sharing that. Okay, I have the
6: smallest question. Okay. What about the individual water user in, his, in, her, in her home,
2: or swimming pool, is it important not to waste it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, The the conservation. I always feel if I
6: let the water run too long between changing my toothbrushes, (laughs) that's that's wrong. I'm wasting water.
2: You know, there's little, little wastings and big wastings. And um, so you need to be cognizant of them both. the, the easiest way to fix a problem is to use less of whatever it is that you're trying to save. And so conservation is the first line of defense and, and, and we should do it all. Um, you know, we were talking about toilets today. I was at Mary's house and we, we passed a toilet sitting on the street. <laughs> And, and she was saying that places, you can't recycle toilets, but it's because they've become low flow toilets and you can't use the old toilets anymore that, that used the big gallons of water and your washers don't. And so actually what we're finding now is that because we've imposed all of these things that people don't even know, I mean you buy a toilet now, you don't realize that it's different than the old toilets but it is, and there's so much more water conservation built in now that the sewage is actually getting more concentrated, and in some places, they have trouble getting the sewage to the plant because there's not enough water to flush it through. So, yeah, so we're doing pretty good with homeowners and things like that, and I think that, you know, that's wonderful, but we have to look at the, Who was talking about irrigation, you know, irrigation is we use a lot of water on irrigation. Is that our highest and best use of our water or not? I don't know. Um, you know. Certainly we need to have food too, so we have to balance that. Thank
1: you. Yeah. Um, one of the readings in the study materials, it talks about water infrastructure and quotes one person who thinks, uh, you know, we have a terrible problem with stormwater in Milwaukee mm-hmm. and other cities probably yeah. right here too. Um, There are ways to engineer stormwater receptacles and flows to minimize that damage that's now happening. Mm -hmm. Do you have any guidance for us on that?
2: Um, One of the stealth jobs that you didn't find in my resume was (laughs) I worked in the stormwater program for a while. And EPA said that we had to turn back the clock in effect. Because if we have a non-degradation standard, which is what they've imposed for stormwater, you have to take your current developments and turn them back to 1977, which was whenever that version of the Clean Water Act passed. And so there's a lot being done by cities, I know in Minnesota, I assumed here as well, to, to recapture stormwater, find ways to reuse stormwater. Um, in Minnesota, we have all kinds of, a whole community of people who are built around learning how to do that, fostering those practices, selling the things that you use to do it. So it's uh, quite the industry. Say what? Rain, well, there's rain gardens and rain barrels on your own individual land, but cities do big deal things. And you'll see wetlands being built and all kinds of stuff to, to manage stormwater as well. Did,
4: Well, a couple of years ago, I was in Tucson, Arizona, and the, and the newspaper was reporting that people in Tucson have been so good at conserving water that they were losing money, and they were going to have to raise the water rates. Yeah. Uh, both the University of Arizona and the University of New Mexico in the law school have lawyers that specialize in water issues. Mm-hmm. And um, the other thing, you know, they, we're talking about the bottom of these lakes. These mussels are in these lakes around here, and that's going to change the bottom of the lake. I don't know whether it's good or bad,
2: but um, in Minnesota we find carp do a lot of damage in water bodies too. Well,
4: those zebra mussels and then the quagga mussels are yeah, coming. Yeah,
2: yeah. Um, you know, when you talk about water wasting, you go out to Las Vegas. Holy crap! You know, Lake Mead is down, 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 and and then the the um, what do they call it? The 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 wash. The wash is their version of the river, and so the the water that they the I, there's always, you're out there in the summertime, it hasn't rained in days and there's water in the wash. And I said, where did that come from? Oh, it's irrigation overflow, overspray from people's lawns and stuff.
0: Oh my God.
2: I'm glad I live here.
0: Other questions or comments?
6: One of the things that struck me a number of years ago, was somebody pointed out that water can be reused. It's part of a water cycle, and and fortunately, the rain keeps coming and and goes into the uh, groundwater and into the streams, and then that evaporates and goes back into the clouds. Uh, But in the process of using water, we're always degrading it. Uh, and I was on a sewage cr- uh, district commission for a long time, There, it's really, really expensive to do that last bit of cleaning. Mm-hmm. So if we can keep water from being um, further degraded by, you know, you, you have your uh, shower water and uh, the water from washing your dishes and stuff, if we had a system... That's called gray water, where you take that water, which is not very dirty, and you use it for watering plants or your lawn, mm-hmm. uh, or ro- running the uh, water through the toilet. You would be keeping water at a higher level of quality, mm-hmm. and you wouldn't have to clean it so much if you were as if you were dumping it into the sewage water stream, mm-hmm. uh, where it's going to pick up more pollution and stuff. So if you think about you're at the headwaters of a stream and water is working its way down the system, Um, the Mississippi River is a great example because water that comes from Wisconsin that may have some manure in it and may have some nutrients eventually gets to, you know, not very far. Gets to a city water treatment plant right. where they have to clean the water so mm-hmm. that they can drink the water and use it, and then it goes. That gets flushed down further down the Mississippi River, and it goes through. I don't. Do you know what the number is? Is no. it forty different people's uh, bodies before it actually gets to the to the Mississippi River? It's some incredible number because of the many uses of that mm-hmm. water. But when it gets down to the to the dead zone, I mean that's the dead zone is really literally a bad place. But it's also part of a, a sea, the uh, it's part of the salt water oceans. Uh, we're, we've then lost that fresh water. Mm-hmm. That's why the uh, all the work that we do through the league in protecting the Great Lakes and the headwaters of the Mississippi and, and uh, many of the other rivers where the leaks that you pointed out on that map, they are protecting their water systems because they're at the headwaters. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's, the league has been a leader in the area of water for dozens of years. And the first time, the the 45 years history that you mentioned of the Lake Michigan Interleague uh, goes back before the Clean Water Act was was passed. The League of Women Voters was pointing out the problems in the Great Lakes and making congressmen understand that they had to take responsibility and pass the Clean Water Act, which has been a a marvelous law and it's nationwide, uh, we don't have to worry about when you go from one state to another whether you're having safe drinking water or uh-huh. or whatever. In any case, I just wanted to reemphasize what you said. The League of Women Voters has been at the front forefront in trying to protect our clean water resources from being degraded and lost from the system that we depend on, this hydraulic system where we depend on having water be freshened and reusable to mm-hmm. humans.
0: Yeah. yeah. Did you have one, one thing? Okay. Yeah. One more and then we'll give you the last word.
2: Oh, I have to think of the last word now.
1: <laughs> have you at all looked at the cranberry industry? No. Which is at the center of yeah. your, and much all of the nitrogen because they add tons of ammonium nitrate which not only adds an unbelievable amounts of nitrogen, but it's very acidic. Mm-hmm. So the lakes and the area where they're doing this, the detritus at the bottom of those lakes has nothing, no heavy metals, huh. everything has been dissolved. And d- is anybody looking at that industry?
2: I, I, it's a whole foreign thing to me, so I haven't. <laughs>
0: Okay, do you have a last word for us? Do I have you? a last
2: word? Well, I need to learn more about cranberries now. <laughs> I, I, every time we, So we're from Ohio, and every time we drive, most of my time in Wisconsin has been driving through, and I always say, let's go to the Cranberry Museum, and that would be... <laughs> we've never done that. Somebody's waving at me back there. Is it okay?
0: Um, no, I think be, we're going to need to close. Oh, okay. So I'll, well, I'll talk we want to th- thank you so yeah. very much, Gretchen. Oh, for thank making- you. Helping us, yeah. for helping us appreciate what the league is doing, uh, the complexity of the issues, and for driving all the way down from Minnesota. Oh, no, I, I got a
2: lot done today. It was wonderful. Oh, good. So.
0: Good. Okay, so thank you so yeah. very much. Uh, we have a few things to okay. close with. Thank you. Thank you. Um, let's see here. Um, I want to first of all thank Diane Liebert for doing videotaping, and Kelly Warren for doing the audio and the recording, which will be broadcast, and uh, so thank you to the two of you. We have a petition here this evening. The Dane County League of Women Voters is co-sponsoring with the United Nations Association of Dane County, a petition for the cities, for the UN Convention for the Elimination of Discrimination Against Women. It is an old convention that most countries in the world have ratified. We have not ratified it. And so the UN associations around the country are having petition drives city, By city to work for city councils, uh, urging city councils to protect at least the women in each of our cities. So there are petitions at the back, and I want to thank Monica Schwartz. Monica, you want to just raise your hand so they can see you for getting things organized for us. And um, you may also look at the UNA Dane County. Um, website and you can sign a petition online too now how about that they did do it with some urging from some of our members they should have it online and they do so um, if you could take part in that that will be delivered then to the City Council for their hopefully passage So then uh, the other thing I'd like you to do is if you're interested in the census count and making sure that uh, people in Dane County get counted, uh, the uh, League of Women Voters is cooperating with the complete count for the census that's coming up in 2020. And we would love to have a liaison to represent the League working with the city and the county and if you are interested let me know tonight or let me know as soon as possible. Uh, There are study materials at the back table as well as the petitions and there will be unit meeting discussions uh, and you can check our website for those uh, dates and places. We have six unit discussions. And uh, so hopefully there will be a lot of ongoing discussion. If you want to take action, there are always listings on our website uh, in our weekly updates and at the state level for lots of efforts that are going on that you can take part in. Um, Fred Wade from the Madison Institute has a couple of announcements and invitations. Okay, Thank you. The Madison Institute uh, is presenting two programs uh, within the next six, month, 6 weeks. The first will be on Tuesday, April 16th on education issues and the state budget process. I have number of, a panel of four will be addressing that. On May 29th, we'll have a, a panel addressing uh, partisan redistricting, the case is just argued in the Supreme Court, an update on the Wisconsin case, and uh, uh, Jay Heck will be collaborating with the Common Cause on this, Jay Heck will be discussing the uh, proposal for nonpartisan redistricting in Wisconsin. Both programs will be at the Central Library at 7 p.m. And uh, we'll have more information shortly on our website, uh, madisoninstitute.org. Thank you. And, and we will too, right? Okay. Very good. Uh, and then on May 15th, we have our annual meeting right back here, and we are delighted that Erin Grunsey, who's our executive director at the uh, state League of Women Voters, will be doing updates with us about the suits that the League of Women Voters is involved in, in terms of gerrymandering is one of them, and the uh, lame duck Uh, legislative session and the suit that they've had on that. So she will be presenting for our annual meeting and then of course that will be followed by celebrations, honorees, uh, our accomplishments and reports and election of new officers and budget and planning for next year's program. So we hope all of you can come and join us on May 15th. We'll be starting at 530 with food in the area right there. Uh, So please join us then. Um, Don't forget to leave your name tags. See, I remembered Kathy. Where's Kathy? There you are. Uh, Leave your name tags, please. Uh, And if you have been a guest this evening, we invite you to come back. And next year we'll be having a whole new session of rounds and we will be focusing mainly on climate change and making democracy work. So we I think we have a we will have an exciting year, right Mary? All right. So thank you all.